Welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for January 26, 2024. This is the show where every week we get together and talk about the top stories of the week in legal tech and legal, innova legal innovation. I am Bob Ambrogi. I have a blog called Law Sites and a podcast called Law Next. And we are uh, graced by a couple of uh, guest panelists uh, sitting in with us today and a couple of our usuals as well. And uh, plenty to talk about as we are here on the eve of legal week getting going in New York uh, starting in just a couple of days. Uh, so uh, let's go around and do introductions and we'll start with uh, start with our guest panelists. So Isha, you want to kick us off? Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am the tech reporter for ALM um, on on legal tech news. Um, yeah, and, and I will be also at legal week next week. So I'll see you guys there. Awesome. And uh, Greg. Yeah, I'm uh, Greg Lambert. I'm the Chief Knowledge Services Officer at Jackson Walker and the uh, co-founder of the uh, Three Geeks in a Law blog and the Geek and Review podcast. And an occasional lurker in our uh, chat here on this show, yeah. uh, even when you're I'm, not. I'm the one that's putting the in panels. the snide comments. So now you get to hear them <laughs> the rather <one>. than read them. <laughs> the one putting in the snide <laughs> Right, the one. Uh, all right, and Stephanie. Hi, I'm Stephanie Wilkins. Oh, wait, I think I technically have a new title. I've never said this out loud before. I'm Stephanie Wilkins. I'm the editor-in-chief of Legal Technology and Legal Tech News at ALM. Oh, okay. Editor-in-chief of Legal Technology and Legal Tech And did, Legal Tech News. Did ChatGPT write that for you? I No, I mean, I, I also did not write it, though, if that's not clear. <laughs> That's almost more of a mouthful than uh, Nikki's uh, title. But, uh, well, she's not she's here not today, here. so I had she's to step it up. So you get the longest title award. Yeah. And uh, maybe the shortest title award, Steve. <laughs> hey, Steve Embry here. I write the blog, uh, <clears throat> Tech Law Crossroads, about legal technology and legal innovation. And I, too, will be at Legal Week next week. So I'm hoping to see a lot of people both uh, who are on screen and uh, in the chat next week. Uh, all right. And so I guess I'm the only one, though, that's going actually also going to the Innovations in Tech, what they call it? Legal Services Corporation Innovations in Tech Conference, which will be in Charlotte later in the week. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a double a double whammy next week for legal tech conferences. Um, all right. Well, I thought we I Stephanie had a good news story this week and I felt like we don't we don't do enough good news on this show so I think we ought to just start there and start our Friday with some something to make us feel better. Yes. So, I wrote a story this week which might be the coolest, best, uplifting legal tech story I will ever get to write. So, you know, I'm going to embrace it and talk write this one out as long as I can. Um, it is about a, a star, rock star litigator at Greenbird Traurig named Lori Cohen. She has been there for, she's been practicing for over 30 years, been with Greenberg for over 20 of it. She is just, uh, I mean, she has a lot of products, liability, major, major complex litigations, and she has you know, 58 defense verdicts. She's like one of like the top rock star trial attorneys at Big Law. Um, which obviously involves a lot of speaking and she loves arguing. And then in March of 2022, <laughs> we like she, arguing too. But... <laughs> she woke up one day with no voice, um, no explanation. The doctors, I mean, she went to doctors right away. 
it still hasn't come back to this day. There's been no doctor around the entire world has seen a case like hers. Um, she's trying everything. She's like, literally, if it's the most alternative thing in the world, I will try it. Like, I will literally try anything. But she basically realized that if I want to continue this career that I love, that I've wanted to do my whole life, I need to um, figure out a way. So her longtime trial technologist, Gerard Butrago, uh, who they're, they're, they worked together for a couple decades. They're really good friends now and everything. So he's like, well, we're going to try to figure this out. And they found her first like speech to text apps, which kind of work, but they're very robotic. You definitely can't use them to make an argument in court because, you know, it's very quick and on the fly and short. And so they started playing around with AI and eventually he landed on 11 labs, um, which I feel like I've seen you do as a presentation before, Greg. Did I not seen you use 11 labs? Yeah. Um, yeah, so they figured out they could, input her voice because since she was so prolific at arguing she had lots of recordings and since they record trial arguments now and everything um even with a two-minute clip of it with 11 labs they could generate a voice that sounded exactly like her and you know, so they've been doing more and more with it building i'm feeding in more of these recordings from the years and years of it and the more they play with it they can get intonation they can figure out speed it up slow it down get it to more mimic how she actually speaks and sounds and Obviously, I mean, I have met her in person and talked to her and she's just an incredible and kind human being. But I obviously never heard her real voice, her natural voice before this. But everybody who knows her says it sounds exactly like her. If anything, maybe it's a little slower because she was a super speed talker. And apparently the court stenographers are like, finally. But um, no, they've been doing it. She hasn't done a full trial yet because cross-examinations and things like that are a little tough. But she's argued motions in court before judges. Um the one lag in it currently. So she still has her speech to text app and there's currently no connection, no real time connection between 11 labs. So the actual Lori voice, she named it Lola. Lola, there's no connection between Lola and her speech to text robotic voice. So, which is what she really was hoping that the, you know, um, she's like, I really wish the iPhone 15 had solved my problem, but it hasn't. So I'm assuming that has to eventually come so that on the fly, she can do the talking in her voice too. But it's really just, absolutely incredible and i mean greenberg has been behind her the whole way i mean i i i know of greenberg obviously i have no reason to have feelings about them but like how they have supported her is really impressive um and it's just i feel like in the world of deep fakes which i'm sure we'll talk about next in a bad way and everything else on the show will be doom and gloom and i'm usually the biggest you know he doom leader here but um yeah it was like feel good about tech and big law and it just and she is just wonderful and we i actually so we have the awards at legal week next week and i used the power of my position to just create a whole new award for her that was not open for public submission we've never given it before i named it outstanding achievement in legal technology it's going for her and her trial tech they're both going to be there she's gonna accept in person and speak for a couple minutes in the lola voice um it's just really, really incredible. And it's kind of like a good reminder of why I actually like technology in the first place, because it is so easy, especially in legal and with everybody misusing it these days to just get down about it and realize all the bad. But there really is like this is just an incredible accomplishment. And I could just go on and on and on about it. And I will not <laughs> because we there are more of us on this show. But um, yeah, I it's it's great. I mean, I, I I don't know if I'll ever get a story like that to write about again. I mean, I hope so. I hope it hopes more people. But yeah.
Sorry, I had to do it. Yeah. It's all I could think about when I was reading the story. Yeah. But no, you know, I thought one of the, actually one of the, I mean, it was, it was a really inspiring story. It's a really great story and, a, you know, a, a marriage of a sort of medical mystery with a, with a legal tech uh, outcome. But um, one of the, um, I think it was the first time she went into court, maybe in New Jersey or something, where the judge said, well, you know, I'm not going to give you any um, preferential treatment because of Rhode this Island. or something. Yeah. Rhode Island. Okay. Yeah, I talked to that judge. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting uh, angle on it because, um, you know, you might, I don't know, you could, you could be fearful that this would disadvantage you in the courtroom or advantage you in the courtroom or have no effect whatsoever in the courtroom and just thinking yeah, about course. what that impact would be. Well, and that was the thing. And he's, he is impressed himself. I mean, Judge Light up there, or sorry, he's like, we pronounce it Leach. It makes no sense. I'm like, okay, Judge Leach up there, who himself. <laughs> earlier in February of 2023 was in a massive car accident and almost died. This whole thing just like gets oh. even more, but yeah, she's like, th there's all these hernia mesh cases up there that I mean, they have been for him for years and years. So we know well, all the litigators very well. And he's like, to be very clear, like I respect her. I think she's fantastic, but I will never rule in her favor because of that. But he's like, you know, in my head, I was almost like, it's an oral argument. I would always interrupt somebody, but is that unfair of me to interrupt her? Cause she has this prepared, you know, like she prepares her presentation and like she would have to answer on the fly with the speech to text. But then he's like, I have to treat her like any other litigant. And if anyone can handle it, she can. And she did. And yeah, it's just it's amazing. And meeting her in person, too. She's just such a wonderful person. So. And that's the thing, too. She's like, even if I get my voice back tomorrow, she's like she she recognizes that she has the means to like go all over the world to try to find an answer to this. And so she's like, I'm going to keep advocating for people. She apparently sent the article I wrote to a bunch of medical institutions. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. can I can like 11 labs figure out their thing now? And they're like, they should give us a discount for all the publicity for this. I'm like, ask. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and no, send it to the, the Washington point, Post medical mystery. Yeah. You read the medical mystery stories in the Washington Post. Um, I think the New York Times does it too, but they're they're always fascinating. That's so bizarre. <clears throat> yeah, it just really is. I don't know. I was like on a high writing it and just having people read it and because it's just such a great story. Is she going to be at the awards dinner? Yeah, she's accepting. Oh. And she's actually coming up on stage with Lola. And so there's reason, reason enough to go. Yeah, I know. All right. Any other thoughts on that? Well, let's. Uh... The only thought I have, Bob, is yeah. uh, I think you dated yourself and me too when you played the sound clip i'm sorry well i, I mean no oh come on everybody knows that song yeah. well in my article though i made the barry manilow reference one of my subheads was her name was lola so <laughs> not right. that it's not that different we, of an we can era. do a generation check-in with isha and see if she knows that song is it <laughs> do you know the song lola you're muted i know the I know the uh, Never very mind. Manilow, but I, I did not. I did not know this one, but you know, I, oh. I, it was sounded great, and I'm going to check it out right after on my <laughs> on my Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure, right, Steve. Uh, all right, it was a good song. Well, <laughs> the Kings. Yeah, it sounds. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. It was. The, uh, the lyrics are pretty good. Entirely politically correct now. I'm not sure, but no, yeah, right. Well, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it might not be politically. <laughs> Stephanie, does she does she use it in her uh, on her phone or how does she access this the well, the recordings? She has like 
a phone, an iPad, and two computers. Apparently, she always had all of this at all times. But like, she has it on her phone, and there are some presets. So like, if she sits out in the world ordering at restaurants or things like that, she has some certain. She can put in a certain amount of presets in like that. And if she's having a conversation, she'll you know usually just do it on her phone. But she does have her iPad too. And when I was in there talking to her, she would you know be typing on it, and I like she can pretty much use it on every device she has. But um. Like in the awards, she'll just bring up her phone and put it by the microphone to talk that way. Because like, I guess she said when she she has done huge like speeches before and stuff since then. And she's like, it's really weird to stand there and have my voice like echoing all around the room. Like it normally wouldn't like you wouldn't be talking through a microphone. So they figured out like her projecting it through the microphone. So I mean, I'm sure in court and stuff, she used computers and she has iPads and stuff, but she can do it all like through her phone too. Amazing. And like, it was really amazing that he said, like, so I was asking him, I'm like, how long? Because I, I was going to ask them to do a, an acceptance speech at the awards. But I'm like, I don't want to ask you to do this if this is going to be like hours and hours of work for you to do. And they're like, oh, well, no, I mean, like, we want to do a five minute speech with her being a perfectionist and tweaking it. It takes us like 20, 30 minutes to get it. I'm like, that's it. Pretty impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to go back to this. I didn't even get to the good part. Okay. <laughs> I didn't play the Lola part when I played the clip before. Um, all right. Well, uh, moving on to, let's move on to the first of our guest panelists. Isha, uh, you've got uh, a story this week that I actually also happens to be something that a topic that Steve wrote about recently, although it wasn't Steve's pick for this week. But uh, why don't you... Tell us about what you wrote about. Yeah, um, I wish it was as positive and great as a Stephanie story this week, but nothing ever is on this show. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's deep fakes, which Greg and I have spoken about before. Um, and this past week, the American Bar Association had a webinar with uh, Maura Grossman, Judge Grimm, um, and Hani Farid. Um, uh, from, from uh, UC Berkeley about the kind of key top of mind issues with, with deep fakes in 2024. Um, and the real backdrop to this is the fact that so many people are voting this year, not just in the, in the United States, but I think it's something like 1 billion um, in South Asia alone. So 2024 is a huge year for elections and it's a huge year um, in turn for uh, really incredible deep fake technology. So, you know, that, that was really a lot of the backdrop and then the, the webinar analyzed some of the really good videos and photos um, that even the, the presidential campaign, uh, at the time I think Ron DeSantis was still running. So he, you know, now since then things have changed, but um he, he was, might just be a deep fake entirely yeah, i have often sure. wondered that yeah i have often wondered that um but yeah the they they haven't been able to figure out smiles yet so that would make a lot of sense um and he <laughs> or or boots or boots um but nothing against ron just i don't know i shouldn't say that um but yeah, yeah. so so um <laughs> As, as well as, you know, Trump and, and um, everyone, no one's, and then Taylor Swift. So a whole, a whole different um, 
category of people, right? She had the deep fake nudes um, circulate um, from, which were traced back to a telegram group um, where it was just like a bunch of people who were brainstorming how to get around the filters that the, the commercial tools have. Like, you know, even like sexual terms for, for pornography or um, you can't technically type in Taylor Swift, but you can type in Taylor dash singer Swift and it brings up her face. So there's like really easy ways to circumvent these apparent filters or blocks or restrictions that these tools have. Um, the, the three big things that uh, this panel talked about was the limitations of watermarking, because, you know, we are seeing legislation around the United States, which says, well, watermarking, like that's the solution. Let's make all the AI developers watermark their uh, their uh, generations. But that's not, you know, it's super easy to remove a watermark, as we've seen with Getty. Um, and so the panelists talked a little bit about the multifaceted approach, like you could do a visible watermark, you could do an invisible one that's only readable to algorithms. And then you could also do hashing and kind of, uh, and you know, I think the, the best quote about it was from Professor Fareed and, and he says um, that a good forensic analyst in 2024 is just gonna have many tools in their toolbox um, to figure out what a deep fake is because one thing is just not gonna work. Um, and then Judge Grimm talked a bunch about, you know, We've reported on this, I think, Cassandra, who's the other tech reporter on our desk, you know, we've reported on this idea of whether the federal rules of civil procedure procedure are going to be enough to uh, to deal with deep fake evidence. Um, and people have many different opinions of, about that. But Judge Grimm actually was saying that it isn't so easy, it isn't so difficult to circumvent these rules either when it comes to proving authenticity, especially as uh, deep fake evidence becomes more and more uh, believable. Um, and then the third big thing that they talked about was that states are going to lead the charge and, and you know, which nobody's shocked about. It's what we see with data privacy, with, with data breach notification systems. Um, and yeah, that was really the crux of the story. The uh, deep fakes are, are big and they're going to get bigger and it's all really scary. Yeah. No Lola here. No Lola to save yeah, us. Thanks from for bringing fakes. us down, Isha. Yeah, no. yeah. That's why they made you go first. Yeah. You'd feel bad about it. They all, but I'm curious, you because know, you were saying, yeah, yeah. you know, any good data scientist or whatever will be able to tell a deep fake, but how many of those good data scientists are out there? And are like, do Very the courts few. have, like, do the courts have them? Like, that's great that some people can, but does that really help? No, and that's what, yeah. sorry, yeah. I, I wrote a piece on it today, kind of based yeah, well, on what was yours podcast. About, Steve? And... Well, what was no. yours about, Steve? I'm curious. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Oh, no, no, no. I was just asking, I was just curious what your, what your, piece was about um yeah so so it was mainly focused on the <clears throat> potential abuse and the challenges that are being faced by judges that are going to have to to deal with authenticity questions of these deep fakes and it was based on a podcast that judge shagel uh, down in louisiana did on tech and tech and gavel and he you know, i don't know if he, how many know judge shagel but he's he's really 
pretty knowledgeable. And, you know, he, he was focusing on the, the voice cloning issue um, and, and the challenges that, that it, um, it posed. And it, you know, it, it really is because, I mean, it's one thing in the federal system where you have judges with at least some resources to, to utilize, but in the state court system, I mean, in our state, for example, I mean, very few judges have even law clerks uh, to help them. And um, so they, they, it'll be a real challenge for them to grapple with this because I think we're going to see, like we see in a lot of things, just a battle of forensic experts. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's valid. No, it isn't valid. And here's the poor judge with precious few resources to know who's correct. And, And in many cases, no fault of their own, really not much of an understanding of the underlying technology and issues. And so Judge Shagel's point was, you know, we the legislatures sort of need to step up and begin providing more education and support to state court judges that are going to be grappling with this, which, you know, it's, I, I know here we, we raised that with this legislature and they're like, Oh, those guys get paid enough anyway. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's I think it's gonna be a real challenge in the courtroom. Yeah, that's that's what I think as well. Um, and that's what the panel ultimately said that it's gonna be hard and, and expensive, really expensive to even be able to afford good experts. So but I think, you know, like Dennis makes the point in the chat, and we've talked about this before, that there are also possibly positive uh, uses for deep fakes. And, and Steve, you talked about Judge Slagle. Uh, he's, and, and I think we've also referred to this before in the show, but he's got a website up where he's kind of talking about deep fakes in court, but he also shows examples of how it can be used in a positive way to kind of commute, com- communicate with um you know non unrepresented litigants coming into the court and try and have a more sort of human interaction with them if you want to call it that uh and and, uh do educational videos and that sort of thing so does it give it a different name besides deep fake that's what i was literally just going to say it has such a a negative kind of yeah, it has a, yeah, it might have been a typo, negative... typo, but I'm going with that. What was it? Chat in the chat. I think it was a typo, but he typed oh, beep fake, which beep I like. Yeah. Yeah. Roadrunner. There's another <laughs> issue. There's another issue that's kind of working here that's, you know, is, is um, could become important and, and debatable. Remember the, the Rittenhouse trial in, in Wisconsin mm-hmm. where the, where the pinch to zoom judge couldn't, wouldn't let the evidence in. And, you know, everybody was like, yeah, what a doofus, blah, blah, blah. But the more you start thinking about it, you know, the pinch to zoom, okay, maybe that's not a good example, but I mean, when I take photos, I I use a lot of tools to make them better. Um, And in doing that, if that were a photo that was going to be used in the courtroom, does the making them better, somehow reach a point where they're not accurately reflecting the true scene. And and, yeah, that's going to be, you know, that's not really what we really consider deep fake so much, but I could see it being a big issue, particularly with a photograph. That's a soft, or even, or even a voice, even a voice. I mean, you Mm -hmm. can, you can Mm -hmm. make your voice sound better, for example. And at what point does it become not a, not a realistic depiction? Mm-hmm. I mean, all those Instagram filters. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I think they call that a soft fake now, don't they? Is like if you start <laughs> off with a 
um, a person's voice and then you're just making it a little higher or softer as opposed to just generating something from quote unquote thin air, so to speak. Yeah. You know, the musicians, when they when they do recordings, they have for years have tools that would make make their voice. Yeah, auto tune. That's want. right. Yeah, yeah. But the photo manipulation is interesting too. Like, so I, I haven't actually gotten a chance to talk about true crime TV yet on this, and now I am. <laughs> I was watching one on uh, Netflix, which is it like Coffee Death in the case of Jessa Wongso or something. It was like one of the biggest cases. Like, she was from Australia, and she, I think this happened in Malaysia, whatever. Basically, her friend died and they're pretty sure this woman poisoned her friend to death and it's all it's all corrupt over there or whatever and like her dad had a lot of pull whatever but so the whole theory was that she died of cyanide poisoning and so they had pictures of her dad and they're like this this matches with cyanide poisoning and then this autopsy guy came out and was like well cyanide poisoning doesn't turn you blue it turns you red and then suddenly there were new photos and evidence where she looked red instead of blue to match that the whatever theory it was and i mean that's obviously a very corrupt judicial case we're talking about but people can like if they know like if their theory is she was poisoned by this and it turns them blue they can easily manipulate a photo to look blue like i don't know it just involved ice coffee and true crime it's like my my sweet spots maybe that's what happened in the last election (laughs) that's i gotta check that out stephanie i haven't seen that one yet I mean, I wanted it to be better, but it is interesting. <laughs> is it okay if I have the touch-up blur on on my Zoom camera here? Is that, now I feel guilty. For, um, <laughs> all right, well, uh, Greg, guest visiting panelist number two. Yeah. Uh, what do you got this week? So I wanted to uh, show that hallucinations have now gone international. Um, <laughs> and that uh, this... I'm. I'm I may take uh, some some hits here, but it feels to me like the there was a lawyer in British Columbia that uh, was working on a case for her father. Uh, I think it was an immigration case where he was wanting to get a visa to go back to uh, China and take some kids with him. And she did the the work for him. And uh, she just apparently went on chat GPT, typed in a bunch of things, copied and pasted it, turned it in. And sure enough, uh, for some reason, this tool that is not a legal research tool uh, came up with the wrong legal research uh, answers for her. Um, But uh, I I was kind of reading between the lines, and I don't think that she is someone who normally goes to court. I think she was doing this as a a favor, um, because as soon as as it came to light that these cases were were, uh, not real, uh, she immediately like burst into tears and was very apologetic. Um, and so I, hopefully I think this is one where, you know, again, learn from other people's mistakes rather than your own, but too late for her. Um, but uh, apparently uh, chat GPT, not any better on Canadian law than it is on us law. So. Yeah. It was kind of sad. The article talks about she left the courtroom with tears streaming. I down know. Her I'm face. just looking at it too. That's <laughs> could, yeah, yeah, could so. become a new a new strategy for lawyers that <laughs> that side cases that don't exist. Yeah. Pass that along to the Swartzes of the world. <laughs> now I did have yeah. uh, when this is the when, first non-Swartz instance of this, right? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I have two Schwartz. Um, I did have a, an attorney uh, here that uh, I was telling him a few months ago in a in a luncheon. So surrounded by fifty more attorneys, and he was like, "Well, what if you just had it create the case and then give it that citation and submit it?" I'm like, no, no. <laughs> So, but you know, a for uh, you know the, for for being creative, but uh, no, you can't have it create the citation and then create a, a fake case to to help with the uh, citation. So, I mean, you can, but <laughs> you shouldn't. And ethically, in some gray area. Um, <laughs> I did. I did have one other thing that that popped up today, and I don't know if uh, anyone else listens as religiously to on Friday mornings to. Uh, Hard, the Hard Fork podcast like I do. Um, but this morning they were talking about uh, uh, the kind of the downfall. The, I think the LA Times and some other news organizations have either folded into other organizations like Pitchfork Media or the LA Times, I think, has laid off more of its reporting staff. Um, and so they went through this whole deal of, you know, o over all these years, why is it um, and I kept going uh, back to a uh, a thing that uh, Sarah Glassmeyer and I have have been shouting since uh, 2012 when Google Reader was shut down, and that was when we stopped allowing RSS feeds to so that we could pick what we wanted to read, and we allowed the algorithms to pick what it is we were going to uh, to read. Um, as, as Sarah said today, it was like, I'm not going to say that all this bad stuff that's happening in the world is because of this, but I'm not not saying that all this bad stuff is, is because Google Reader got shut down. So in the, uh, in the podcast, so they've gone through all of that, never mentioned RSS once. They get onto another story about Bitcoin or uh, 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 cryptocurrency. And the guy that they're interviewing goes, well, it's like when RSS lost and the algorithms took over. And I was like, yes, yes. So I recorded it, put it on LinkedIn. Um, and so I feel that Sarah and I both feel vindicated today that if we'd only had RSS feeds instead of algorithms, the world would be a much nicer place. I saw that and I thought, well, wait a minute. I didn't know RSS feeds died. I mean, they do still exist. You can still use RSS. There's, there's still readers like feed. I still use Feedly, which is an RSS yeah. reader for a lot of feeds. I know on my, uh, on my, on our, on our the uh, directory site we we have we have RSS feeds set up for the different uh, yeah. topics of of, of uh, areas of law practice where you can kind of follow news relating to those kinds of products, all using RSS feeds, and they get some usage. Yeah. So I don't think they've exactly, well, you know, what, reports of their death is a little exaggerated, but I know, it, I know it's still, a, it's still around. Here's the problem. Um, back before 2012, you could set up RSS feeds for your subscriptions in, uh, in Twitter and in Facebook and other social media. Mm -hmm. And they immediately cut that. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, and now you know, let's say you're subscribed to the Houston Chronicle like you know uh, yep. that I am through Facebook, you may or may not see that even though you're you subscribe to it. Right. Um, you're still at the whim of the platform to feed you what it is they think you want to see. Um, and so that's that's where I think we were talking because like all podcasts use RSS feeds to for distribution. 
Um, and most most yeah. uh, blogs, you can still use RSS. So yeah, it's yeah. still around, but very few people use it. Yeah. No question. The social media algorithms drive me crazy. I, I can't stand them. Um, yeah. It's it's grim out there in the in the media world this week. <laughs> Stephanie, yeah, sports, bring us sports bring us another story. Shut down this week. <laughs> well, I know, yeah, and sports then right? LA, yeah, LA Times, Sports Illustrated. I know, I don't know what's going. On. I mean, Sports Illustrated is like a textbook case study on how to not run your media brand and yeah. completely destroy something right. you've built up for many, many years. Maybe true for the LA Times um, owner as well. I'm going to say when they're, your venture capital comes in. Yeah, it's tough. But there's an interesting phenomenon going on. And, you know, in my, in my day job, I represent newspapers. And uh, there was a conference yesterday at, at, at BU that I wish I could have gone, Boston University, I wish I could have gone to. I didn't have time to go to it. But there is, there's just a real surge in startups of, of kind of, you know, what it might be called hyper-local news sites, online news sites um, covering. In Massachusetts, there are now hundreds of these things covering different communities where the newspapers have shut down, but there are these online news sites covering them. And interestingly, what's been happening here in Massachusetts, I'm not as familiar with what's going on in other states, but a number of these things that started as online news sites, and they're often started by laid off reporters from some other publications, but uh, they're, some of them are now starting print versions of their online newspapers. So it's like they're going the other way around. Uh, like there's a, a town in Massachusetts called Marblehead where there's like a, it's a small seaside town where there's like newspaper wars going on. There are now like two print newspapers and I think three different online sites covering the local news in this community. And so it's, you know, even as we're hearing about some of the traditional papers dying, there is this sort of resurgence of a, not resurgence, a surge of a, of a new kind of, uh, of a news outlet that's kind of uh, heartening, I think. I agree. I agree. I totally agree with that. I think it's just kind of exhaustion with the, with the legacy media type of, of reporting for many reasons and could go on and on about that, but it'd be a digression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, before I get to Steve's story, I'm going to I'm going to uh, inter <laughs> intervene with the story I reported this week on this uh, Florida ethics opinion, only because it kind of follows a little bit, I think, from what we were just talking about with Greg uh, and the uh, and the uh, hallucinations uh, in Canada. Um, but uh, the Florida bar this week put out a ethics opinion on lawyers use of AI that uh, uh, it's, it's, I thought it was a, a pretty reasonable ap approach to it. I thought they did a, a pretty good job with it. Um, and uh, whenever a, a bar manages to get an ethics opinion somewhat right regarding technology, I'm impressed because they, they so often don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was a, a rational approach. I mean, it, it kind of just talked through the areas of, you know, where you need to be careful and confidentiality and making sure you understand the tech and making sure you sort of supervise the, the use of the tech. But basically they're saying, you know, go ahead and use generative AI. Just make sure you're, just make sure you understand the technology and understand the implications of the technology. And uh, it was, you know, one of those, I mean, my, my takeaway, and I've, I've kind of, expressed the opinion before that I feel like 
there's there's nothing about generative AI that requires any new ethics rules or any new kind of ethics guidance, particularly. It's it's the same rules that talk about duty of technology competence and duty to protect client confidences and all of that apply in the same way to generative AI as they do to cloud technology or or anything else that, that you might be uh, might be that might be the next new thing in in, in technology. Um, but uh, so, you know, kudos, kudos to the, you know, we're seeing some like courts sort of clamp down on the use of this technology and that sort of thing and issue these rules and orders or, you know, barring or limiting the use of AI technology. So I thought it was good that the Florida Bar took, a, I think, a forward looking and open minded approach to this. And... Yeah, I read it, too. I thought they did a, a, a pretty nice job and highlighting, as did the Judicial Council and in the UK. I mean, both of those pieces of work were you know, very, very well done and, and gives everybody the freedom to keep working with things as, as the technology develops. Yeah. And they, the Ninth Circuit is just, they just oh, formed yeah. a committee to discuss the same thing. Hopefully they kind of follow suit, I think, and, and make this generic and, uh, you know, the responsibility still falls back on you. Uh, uh, you know, which is kind of true with any new technology or new uh, process uh, of doing things that uh, you can't blame the the process or technology if you screw up. So be very careful with it. Um, and then Mark, or I mean, I mean uh, uh, Bob, we were, um, uh, I also mentioned, I sent, sent it to you and I'll post it here, uh, kind of in the same vein, the, the UK government, um, set up a, a handbook, basically just a, a guide for all government employees on the use of generative AI and kind of in the same vein as the Florida bar where it's like, you know, we're not going to stop you from using it, but you, you need to make sure that you understand what it is you're using, how you're using it and the responsibilities of, of using it. Well, from a, a bar doing something that's a little bit forward-looking, we can now jump over to a bar <laughs> getting in the way of any forward progress, uh, just a few states to the uh, west from Florida. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of remarkable. This was a, the, the story was about the, the Texas um, commission charged with looking at uh, whether people who are not lawyers could have ownership in law firms mainly because of the access to justice problem. And uh, Lynn LaRoe wrote a story in Law 360 about it. And it the, the shocking thing about the story was not so much that the, 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 the proposal was voted down by the commission, it was a close vote, but just some of the comments of practicing lawyers uh, about the proposal. The pro proposal basically was that people who aren't lawyers can have ownership in, in organizations and law firms, provided that they guarantee that they will offer low-cost services to, to uh, uh, indigent people, people who won't have access to justice. That was, a, that was the approach that was being used. And, you know, some of the comments were like, um, you know, a, a lawyer from a, a law firm that had last year had $473 million in revenue says, oh, you know, allowing people who aren't lawyers to own in law firms, that's just putting profits over people. Uh, 
<laughs> and there was another warrior that said, well, well, if we, if we allow this, then, then people will put the interest of shareholders ahead of the clients. And I'm like, you mean you don't put interest of partners, financial interest of partners ahead of clients from time to time? And it, it was just like a shocking reaction by people who um, – who were who were never going to have a piece of this business with with indigents uh, and low income people. I mean, they, you know, people at these big law they're never going to represent these people. So what do they care? And I think what why they care, of course, is is the concern that it's not not low income indigent people that are they're concerned about. It's about uh, entities like the big four accounting firms swooping in and getting an ownership interest in a in a law firm or a separate business that could offer legal services or or bigger corporations coming in and and gaining pieces of of, of um, the organization so that uh, you know they have more resources and can do more things and they adopt different business models entirely and I think that's the the threat that created this visceral reaction by, by many of these law firms for for a pretty modest proposal and certainly you could say well. Yeah, it wasn't the best proposal in the world that maybe it didn't guarantee how much business that they would have to offer to low-income people or what have you. But yeah, okay, well, let's just throw the baby out with the wash and not let them, not let low-income people have any lawyers anyway, because we don't want the low-income people, low-income people to have lawyers because that might mean that, you know, corporate America will swoop in and take some of our really good business away from us and golly, we'd lose money and, and that's putting that's putting profits ahead of people who we should be putting partners ahead of profits. <laughs> I was kind of I mean it was just it touched a nerve obviously for for me and then I, I shared it on social media and got a lot of people I think jumped on it as the same kind of thing. It 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 worth pointing out that the guy. One of the principal critics quoted in that article, the Law 360 article, is is that uh, Stephen, uh, what's his name, Stephen Younger, is that? Right. The, yeah, Stephen Younger from New York, not from Texas, uh, who's the guy, who's the guy who has been just an outspoken uh, opponent of of any kind of liberalization rules, and who um, early was it earlier this year well in last year in 2023 i did that story about the aba center for innovation that was going to write a it was going to publish an op-ed in favor of regulatory reform and they pulled it at the 11th hour uh apparently under pressure from aba leadership uh and uh i mean the, again the the suggestion was that younger was instrumental in causing that op-ed to be pulled and then and then younger was in fact named the head of the center on innovation uh when uh there were some who that. seemed to think the center for innovation was getting a little too innovative uh or a little too in favor of innovation uh and I saw, uh, not, I saw not to say Dennis. anything negative about the center of innovation which has got really good people on the staff and has been do doing some really good stuff but to put this guy this guy younger this lawyer younger uh, as the as the head of that of that center uh, was really kind of a statement by the ABA that we want to make sure we keep the reins on on this on this group and that we're not promoting anything too radical that would disrupt the status quo or our monopoly on law practice. Our, our monopoly. Yeah, Dennis made it, Dennis Kennedy made the point in the 
in the chat, I think somewhat tongue in cheek that many of the commentators give so much of their money to the poor as it is. <laughs> and and, it, and there was a comment by a lawyer that in the article that something along the lines of, well, if all these businesses that want to want to own part of law firms really want to help the help the poor, they'll give money to the poor and that'll solve the problem. And it's like, yeah, right. It's like, how much do you give? <laughs> how much do you give to keep the public defender's office open? Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the pigs at the trough story. Yeah. Can we go back and talk about Stephanie's story again now? Yeah, I was like, or just, you know, Greg's story on the death of journalism in the journalism roundtable. Like, who invited that guy? Yeah. Well, Bob. you know, on, on, back, back a little bit to, to, to Stephanie's story, uh, sort of a sort of a tangent, but uh, the new Samsung phones that came out, I think were announced last week, have a, have a supposedly have a really cool feature. So if if I'm talking to Stephanie in English and she wants to hear what I'm saying in Spanish, it will automatically do that and say it to her and even text it to her. And if she replies in Spanish to me that can't speak Spanish, it'll come back to me as English. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. You know, that is that's cool. That's really cool. You mean across the call yeah. it'll do that? As opposed to like yeah. a Google the Google Translate yeah. thing or something. Or like a text. Yeah. It's, text. Uh, yeah. yeah. The universal so, I mean, translator I is is, you know, not too far away. Yeah, that's I mean, that's and that really is pretty. I mean, I I don't know how well it will work or anything like that, but it it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that does sound cool. I'd love to check that. Yeah, that'd be. Yeah, awesome. I mean, just just the app, the Google Translate app is pretty amazing for live conversations <laughs> where you can just hold right. it. And I mean, when I went to last time I went to Russia, it was like at an hour ride with in a cab with a guy who didn't speak English, and we had a long conversation just using Google Translate. It was really cool. Yeah, the the one thing and this kind of ties with Stephanie's story is the quality of the audio, the 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 voice um, software is so much better the the than it was just even last year. Um, and mm -hmm. So like I'm I'm using the um, part of the the voice or text to voice uh, from OpenAI. And I've tested the the text to voice from uh, Microsoft, um, so that Jason Barnwell can be happy that I, that I did that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, just the the ability for it to pronounce things correctly, to have the intonation right, and then you know to see things like with the with uh, Eleven Labs, where you can start tweaking that with your mm -hmm. own voice. And so Stephanie was at the AAAL conference last yep. year where, and we, we actually had one of our presenters just put a microphone to her mouth and act like she was talking and we played a recording of it. And the people up front could tell she wasn't talking, but the people in the back couldn't tell that, that she wasn't yeah. talking. And uh, it, I mean, it sounded, and that was July. And I would say it's, you know, twice as good now as it was in, in July. Just the, the oh. rapid improvement is, is massive. Yeah. Well, and for sure. And, and in talking to Lori and Gerard, who was doing the more of the tech stuff, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, I could have written like a novel on this. It was already a long article as it was. Right. But um, yeah, they were saying, I mean, like, so she lost her voice in March, 2022. It was going on two years, which is a very long time to not have your voice, but also like in the grand scheme of things, most technology doesn't change that much in two years. And they said in those two years, it has just evolved so rapidly that they're constantly 
seeing what changes and like they're just constantly on the lookout for new technologies that evolve too because somebody eventually i mean i think very soon they're going to have to fix that integration problem between the uh, speech to text and the 11 labs created voice but i think 11 labs has historically been more with like entertainment stuff and they don't really need to do it on the fly mm. or like cloning after voices and things like that you know but mm. i mean so that'll be there and it'll I mean, just the possibilities are endless. But yeah, the amount it has changed, even they say mm -hmm. saying it, getting it to a point where she felt comfortable using it has just changed so much in that short amount of time. Yeah, I wonder, it makes me think that maybe we aren't too far off where um, someone using sign language because of, of, of hearing impairment would use sign language and it would come to me with speaking voice and I could mm -hmm. speak that person and they would see it as sign language. I mean, that's it. Did, did you see did, did you technology? How Echo, correctly, how it, that it's that's in the uh, the latest Marvel, the MCU Echo. Oh, really? Um, oh, is that? Yeah. So no, uh, the, the, the deaf girl has a has a, a, a um, contact lens that allows her as people are saying things to her, then it converts it to sign language and then hmm. as she's speaking the person has an earpiece that converts her sign language into into audio again it's just uh you know obviously a a, a fictional thing at this point but you know so with cell phones yeah <laughs> so. i mean it's it's fictional but it doesn't feel as far-fetched as stuff used to feel like uh, i remember when black mirror first came out everyone was like "Ooh, that's so far in the future and suddenly now we're like black mirror has a hard time writing something that we can't already do yeah, I was watching uh, like an old X-Files episode um, last weekend and there was like, and even deep fakes, the way that we see them today seemed like something that was like too crazy or out of the ordinary. Um, and I'm like, wow, Mulder and Scully would have a have a tough go of it today. I don't know if anyone's an X-Files fan here, but yeah. Well, it turns out we don't care. We don't care if there's aliens or not. <laughs> I guess we really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> The global pandemic the kind of distracted us there. Yeah, though. they're the least the of our worries right now. Yeah, <laughs> we were having a rough time on Earth. We were like, yeah. All right. Um, probably worth at least a mention of uh, the, the rollouts this week uh, of new generative AI products from both uh, the practical law. We had talked about this before uh, when Thomson Reuters laid out its generative AI uh, in integration within Westlaw. Um, back in, what was that, October, November, or something like that. Um, and uh, they had at that point kind of teased that they were gonna be, well, they put out in beta anyway, and talked about they were gonna be releasing the first quarter of their generative AI integration uh, uh, implementation of uh, in practical law, where you could just ask a question and get an answer out of, out of practical law. Um, and it, it looked pretty cool, uh, I thought. And then also, uh, since Nikki's not here, uh, my case, uh, Finipe, Kind of rolled out the first of their um, AI, generative AI integrations this week. I, I think probably kind of a relatively modest first step in terms of providing some document summarization and, and text cleanup. But uh, talked about their strategy of you know uh, putting it, laying it out across all of their products. Uh, of course, we've talked a million times about companies telling us what they're going to be doing uh, with the generative AI, and, and yeah, maybe this is another example of that. But uh, but uh, 
Uh, Craig, I don't know you're you're uh, kind of a, a KM guy. What did you think? Did you look at the practical law thing at all? Or did you, uh, did you, yeah, they've been showing showing me little bits and pieces over, over the past couple of months on that. And really, I mean, this is kind of I thought was the lowest hanging fruit um, that was available to. Um, uh, I mean, a year ago I was looking at AI interfaces that allowed you to interact with novels. Right. And so I'm I'm surprised that it's really taken this long to essentially have this type mm -hmm. of interface with a kind of a core set of documents. Um, so yeah. um, I, I will say, hearkening uh, back to a, a, another quote from Jason Barnwell, um, remember, these AI tools are as these are the worst that they will ever be. Um, and I'm seeing products that I, that I've used in, and I'll come back a week later and try something. And all of a sudden what didn't work last week is working this week. Um, and so it's, it's crazy again, to see the advancements, um, that we're figuring it out. And I think a lot of it is they're figuring out on the back end how to set up the data to better, to better get results, uh, than, than they were doing before. So, uh, kudos to everyone seems to be, you know, busting their humps to, to make this stuff a lot better. Yep. And if you haven't got enough AI here, you can go to legal week next week and uh, wander mm -hmm. around the exhibit hall. And I'm sure see it every, at every single booth there. Uh, Kanisha and I shamelessly plug which panels we're on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. With Stephanie, you start. I'm, I'm oh. trying to, I can't remember mine. Um, <laughs> the other one. No, no, just the name is long as that. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I wasn't going to read the full names. I was just going to generally say what they're about. Oh, okay. yeah. good. I'm like everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> so if you're at the awards, I will be hosting that. And you can see Lori do her Lola speech. Also, that's on Monday night. But Monday during the day is the AI workshop. And I will be emceeing that at least the first two thirds of it before I have to go to tech rehearsal for the awards. Um, should be interesting. Tuesday, I'm actually not speaking. I don't know how that happened. Don't tell anybody. Um, Wednesday, I have the future state of the industry, which we did last year. is a very similar, pa similar panel, which I think is at 1030, I want to say. I should look at the actual schedule and tell you when, but that should be, it's a nice, nice, nice group of women talking about the future state of the industry. I'm actually very excited. I'm super excited about that one. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great, it, I mean, it's people across all different, I mean, I'm, there's any people from legal apps, people from in-house, people from, you know, firms, and it's just, it's a great group. That is, I, that was Wednesday, I said, right? Yes, I don't even know what day it is today. That's Wednesday at 1130. Sorry. Also Wednesday at two o'clock, I'm moderating a panel on um, the future of KM, actually, which with some great speakers on it. Mm. And then that Thursday, Thursday. Is Oz on that, Stephanie? Is Oz Benamram? Is he on that no, one? No, he's not on that one. Like Evan, Evan Shakeman, Shankman's on it. And then someone from Reed Smith, Jordanian Joseph from Reed Smith and Jamal Brown from JP Morgan are on it. And then the one I'm really excited about on Thursday at 10.15 is basically the, um, it's not a tech problem, it's a you problem, where we're just going to, it's an ethics credit on all like, why lawyers need to have tech competence and not, you know, playing, I won't just, I mean, we, we might do a like game show style greatest hits of stuff, but it's going to be just a lot of, you know, 
why lawyers really need to understand technology and not blame it when they use it stupidly. But that's a really You're fun starting panel. to make David Horrigan look like a slacker. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That's true. That's Michelle, true. I, you, I, just have, I just have the two panels and they're both uh, that I'm moderating um, and they will be on Tuesday. Uh, the first one's at 1030, I want to say, um, or is it sometime in that range? Um, and it's on operationalizing data privacy to create scalable, repeatable, and adaptable models, um, which which is uh, interesting and, and something I didn't know a lot about until I um, had the prep calls. So come watch. Um, and then the second one is with Lighthouse. Um, they're sponsoring it. And it's got um, someone from Moderna on it, um, Jeff Soling, um, and the other two names are escaping me at this moment, but it's on generative AI and, and uh, e-discovery and just really kind of generally looking at at um, what happens when there are all these new uh, data formats and, you know, what's the impact on that for, for e-discovery. So, yeah, uh, well, exciting. Back-to-back -back PR briefing meetings, I would go to some of those, but... Probably, oh I probably yeah. won't go to anything. Other if than anyone media. is there, there is the media room for yes. all media, not just for us, um, where people are can come and go and hang out and have meetings and meet people. It's like in the main foyer area and by the main ballroom. Um, we're going to have it's been past years. Yes. Yeah, we're going to have a our desk is going to have some office hours, like three o'clock to four o'clock on Tuesday and Wednesday. Some okay. of it will swap in and out. Con people will be there. Counseling. But <laughs> no right <laughs> free counseling if you bring me a nice free coffee free counseling. <laughs> yeah to cope with whatever's going on right. this year <laughs> yeah yeah all right well all right. we've all lost our it. minds a little bit hopefully we'll have them back before next week <laughs> fingers crossed from the uh, from the newly minted editor-in-chief of legal technology and legal tech news yes uh, you heard it here first <laughs> Good. it's all a right. hard launch <laughs> i know all right well, we'll see you all. Uh, see you all. See you a lot of you in New York. I'm sure. I hope. And uh, to everybody else, uh, I guess we'll be back next Friday. We'll do this next Friday again. And talk about talk about what we saw next week. So, see you all then. Have a good week, everybody, and safe travels. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for having us, Bob. Bye. Yeah.